the Augustin Hosinga Show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> Hello there and welcome back to the Agostino Zynga show with I, your host Agostino Zynga and this is episode number 682. This is 682 of the Agostino Zynga show with I, your host Agostino Zynga and I hope you are doing well wherever this podcast may find you. I hope you are doing amazing. How am I? All good, all things considered, all good, all things considered. Great to be back here in front of you guys once again. So today, right, I was actually <laughs> came to realization that gyms are an interesting place, especially when you switch them, because for the first time in many, many years, I decided to switch gyms. You know, the previous place I used to go to, I wouldn't really call it a gym. It was more like a ledger center. If you're out in the States, it was similar to like a YMCA, a kind of local council, borough, state sort of, you know, leisure center, gymnasium place where They've got a swimming pool, they have classes and stuff. And it's usually a place where, you know, councils get to kind of write off certain things. And also they get the ability to have like a space where they can essentially help the old, help the young to kind of get fit and healthy and whatnot. But if you're somebody that likes to go to the gym like I do and lift some heavy weights, it's an also an easy chance or a cheap option for you to be able to get a fairly decent gym membership because it's been subsidized by the government, the whole legislature type of thing. So, you know, all in, I think I was paying like 24 a month for like a off, you know, for like any time that I wanted to go from like 9, 6 a.m. to like 10 p.m. during the flipping, you know, six days out of the week for the most part. So it's pretty decent, especially when you consider some of the bigger gyms out there, bigger brands like, you know, I can't figure it off the top of my head where most of them were kind of super expensive, especially because I come from like the CrossFit world. So I kind of first got into working out in the gym mostly because of crossfit.com back in the days when i forgot the guy's name but when the guy that kind of essentially founded crossfit he's kind of been booted out now i think he was part of the whole council culture thing towards maybe the beginning of the pandemic he got booted out for i think bullying and you know being a bit of a creep and shit but that's when i was kind of you know introduced to lifting weights and being a part of crossfit gyms and shit or being part of crossfit boxes and if you know anything about crossfit you'll know that the monthly fee for crossfit is disgustingly high um the one that i used to go to that's not far too not too far from where i live actually was about a hundred pounds and this was a few years ago so i can imagine now with inflation it's probably gone up but back then it was only a, it was a hundred pound i think that was for like three classes a week so it was really basically nothing um but Coming from that place, going to a legislature center and being able to pay £24 is a godsend. But one thing you realize is that you end up going to a gym where like, it's just random people in there, right? Most, especially if I'd go in there after like 6 p.m., 
you know, you'd get all types of randoms in there. And on many, many different occasions being in that gym, I've seen guys in there like, you know, in full going out clothes, like legitimately guys who are like deciding to quickly pop into a gym, get a quick pump on. So their flipping arms look really swell and then they head straight out. So they're literally in the gym in like jeans and shit. It's fucking hilarious. But obviously it's a kind of, you know, it's a bit of a hood gym. So that kind of makes a lot of sense. But then recently, a little bit more upmarket, a little bit more swankier, um, check yourself in 24 hour gym opened up near me. And I decided, you know what? Why not kind of check that out and kind of mix things up a little bit? And I have to be honest, it's been a pretty decent experience. But one thing it has exposed is that sometimes going to different places can kind of make you see stuff differently. Because for me, when I go to the gym, I prioritize, I prioritize, um, just working out i don't really care about the aesthetics of it i don't really care about the bars about the plates about how the layout is let alone my kit right as long as my kit is like clean i'm not really too bothered i usually go in there in a kind of like 80s inspired garb where i'm just in sweat shorts sweat hoodie um t-shirt and my flipping you know cross training shoes and that's basically it um, i don't really take anything else maybe a belt and some chalk and that's about it so I'm really kind of low maintenance. But when you go to way more upmarket swanker gyms, you start to see brands like, you're like, rah, people are wearing Lululemon. Uh, people are wearing Gymshark. Like you start seeing people actually coming to the gym in gym outfits. Like this person spent like, you know, a good 50 pound, a hundred pound plus on their gym outfit, which I could never understand because, you know, because I'm a bigger, greasier, sweaty dude. I can't imagine spending a hundred pound on like a Gymshark outfit if I'm just going to sweat through it every single day and absolutely beast it out with my BO and my stench. So for me, just grabbing a couple through the loom t-shirts, a through the loom hoodie, some through the loom sweatshorts and some Nike shoes. For me, that's good enough. But when you go into those type of swankier places, you start to look around and think, am I understressed? Don't look like a bum. <laughs> you start to get a bit self-conscious. And the last thing I want to be in a gym is self-conscious. I just want to concentrate on my fucking workouts because, you know, if you've been to gyms and you've lift heavy weights or you've just done, you know, extensive kind of fitness and workouts and stuff, you would know that for the most part, if you go to the gym with the mindset where you're distracted, you can really injure yourself. So if I'm thinking about my outfit and I'm self-conscious and I think I look like a bum, I could tweak my back, I could pull a muscle and then suddenly I'm, you know, out of action for like another couple of weeks and stuff and I don't want to be that guy. So I just want to focus on the workout. But it's difficult to do that when you're seeing all these guys and girls in amazing shape, dressed in fucking amazing flipping outfits. You're like, fuck me, man. I think I might need to get a little matching set. <laughs> I might need to get a little sports bra boob tube. I also might need to get like a sleeveless hoodie top thing that all these fucking gym boys like wearing. It's fucking bizarre. Um, even stuff like tattoos and stuff i'm thinking raw maybe i need some tattoos i see some boys in there with like huge arms as if like tattoos covered i'm like raw that looks really good maybe i need some fucking hieroglyphics or some fucking times new roman wordings all over my arms to make my arms look a little bit more bigger than what they are because at the moment they're looking a little bit flat and stuff do you know what i mean that's what you're thinking when you're going in there you're like no, no 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 just focus on the workout son so that's been a bit of a kind of you know it's been a bit weird getting used to it little things have been weird to get used to it to be honest um the barbells in there compared to my legislator place are a little bit lighter um they don't they don't have as much kind of like weight to them so when you're pulling the plates off of the barbell um sometimes if you, if the other barbell has a few more weights on it it can kind of flip 
and it makes you look like super amateur when I'm not amateur because I've been going to gym like you know majority of my life so I know what I'm doing but when your barbell drops it kind of looks like you don't know what you're doing or you kind of have the strength to hold it up so it's kind of embarrassing I've had that happen a few times where I'm taking the barbell the plates off and you know the barbell kind of like you know flips off of the thing um there's not a lot of mirrors around which is pretty interesting for a gym like that um, so it's kind of hard to kind of get an idea of your form. They're kind of all far away from the main bit that I use. It's just kind of this little cage that's got a barbell in, which I usually use to back squat, deadlift, and do my overhead presses and stuff. So that can be a bit strange. Um, obviously, there's no air conditioning because in the UK, like I told you guys, air conditioning does not exist. And if it does exist, it's like... <sighs> it's like minuscule. You can hardly fucking feel it. So you basically leave there way more... Which I'm thinking to myself, I've, I wonder if that's a tactic. I wonder if some gyms, upmarket ones, purposely don't make it cool so that you feel like you sweated more, so that when you leave the gym, you feel like you've done more of a workout, your cold clothes are fucking drenched, so you feel like you've actually got your fucking money's worth when actually you haven't done much. It's kind of similar to that sizing. Like Uniqlo do, um, you know, Uniqlo, when they first introduced to the UK, they had very Asian specific sizing. So, you know, typically if you were like a large, you had to kind of size up to like a double X, double XL or something in terms of Uniqlo sizing. But over time, they introduced a little bit more, um, what they called comfort sizing. So it kind of make you think you were smaller than what you actually were. So if you're a large, you could fit into like a medium or whatever, maybe. And that kind of, kind of, you know, kind of got people to buy more stuff and feel like you're kind of a lot smaller than what you are. So I wonder if gyms do the same thing. They purposely turn off the air conditioning so that you feel like you've worked out a lot more because you leave the gym with your whole shirt flipping covered in sweat. I'm not really too sure, but regardless, it's been interesting to, to see. Um, it's actually quite nice to see. Um, a little bit more of a, I don't know, what to say? A little bit more of a variety in people that go there. It's not just like, you know, sweaty old men. There's some young people there, some women there and stuff. That's pretty good. Um, to see that actually, especially in the area that I live in, it's really kind of hood and a bit ratchet. So to see like re- fairly normal people that live here day to day is quite encouraging. It means that other people had the same idea that I had living in a place that's kind of near the center, but isn't near the center. Um, but you know, you can tell they kind of just, you know, they live here, but they don't actually, you know, live here. <laughs> you just live here in terms of an address and you don't kind of go around and hang out and stuff because you know, this place is a fucking hellhole and you might get stabbed. So I fucking get it. But anyway, um, regardless, it's been fun. It's been good. I've enjoyed it. I'm probably going to go there after I finish all streaming and stuff. So I can't wait to kind of do that. So big up everybody in the chat, big up everybody in the chat, big up Josie masters here, Jesse L. I see you. Uh, big up nut runner. I see you crash. I see you. Um, who else I see here? Big up everybody. Big up Chad Merrick. I see you as well. Fought Jesus net runner. Big up everybody. Appreciate all of you for tuning in. So moving on from that, I've been watching. I actually finished watching, um, the resident advisor documentary on Ukraine, nightlife and resistance. It was really, really good. I have to really, really, really say, um, resident advisor did a really good job with it. Um, I only got kind of exposed or kind of understood the U- Ukraine nightlife scene very late, to be honest, maybe a couple of years before the pandemic. So maybe like 2018, 2017, I kind of got an understanding of what Ukraine was about and sort of the scene out there in Kiev and whatnot. And I was planning on visiting there for a while. And I kind of followed some Instagram accounts about Closer and a few other clubs, clubs there out there in Flipping Kiev that did really good content. They kind of sold um, the place really well. So for my little techno tourism sort of thing i kind of had on my list and literally just before the flipping pandemic happened and just before the flipping um war started with russia kind of trying to invade um ukraine 
I was planning on going there. That was kind of my next trip because I kind of felt like I exhausted the whole Berlin thing and I wanted somewhere new and fresh to go to. Then, of course, the war spreads and, you know, that option completely, you know, is over. But from afar, it's been difficult to not kind of, you know, see some of the torment and the trauma and the horribleness that's happened off the back of the war and just generally how people's lives have been changed forever and ever. And it's been interesting to see how the nightlife scene in Kiev or in Ukraine overall has responded. And it felt like the documentary did a really good way, did a really good, um, did a really good, uh, did really well in terms of depicting like bravery with the people that lived there. Because a lot of them could have probably moved, which many did and, you know, pursued their arts and stuff and continued their career, which no one would have blamed them. But a lot of them over there have decided to stay and kind of bear arms or be as useful as they can in terms of providing, you know, I don't know, protection, training, whatever it may be, um, food, all that good stuff. They've all kind of really rose to the challenge. And it really kind of, to me, kind of opened my eyes up to that and made me kind of think to myself, would I have done the same thing? And I'm not really too sure. And I think most of us probably wouldn't have if the kind of war kind of comes to your doorstep in your home country and you have the option to leave, you have the funds and the means to go elsewhere. I think most of us, especially in the creative field, considering how difficult it is to make a living or to get any sort of kind of momentum going within the creative field, especially within like music, electronic music to be specific, it, you wouldn't, you know, no one would kind of, no one would um, look down on you or look at you differently if you decided to kind of continue your career, especially if it was just about getting started. And there were a couple of people featured in this documentary who essentially had the same story where their career was just about, you know, just getting started. They were just feeling like they were getting some momentum, some wind behind their sails, and then boom, the war happens, and then your life gets turned upside down. But I also thought the documentary was really triumphant in that it kind of spoke a lot to you know the resolve of the human spirit and essentially the understanding that soon this sort of like you know horrible situation will pass but the kind of um, using nightlife and kind of dancing and raving and stuff as a way to sort of protest and there's also a way to kind of release from the daily torments that they're kind of going through and i feel like the end section of this show or the documentary kind of spoke to and i'm going to play it now but you can watch the whole thing yourself it's called ukraine nightlife and resistance courtesy of resident advisor but i'm going to play the last five minutes or so where they kind of round up some of the main people who are speaking on the documentary and kind of give their outlook on the future and what they kind of expect to happen so i'm going to actually lower the sound a bit so you can hear and i'm going to speak over so you can hear what you're saying People are the most important thing, this guy says. It's like we've dropped some weight. We've become like a balloon and flown to the sky. Happy, happiness, joy. And we've all been talking about the moment, the truth. Who's 
Each war, each crisis and each revolution gives a massive cultural explosion. And I want to be part of it. And to do my best for this explosion to become even more powerful. Because the war explosions were powerful too. I say that I'll come out of this war as a different person. I'd say that I'll come out of this war as a better person. So far, I think so. Everything can change. But at this stage, I understand that overall, this experience pumps me up. Now I'm ready for absolutely anything. And I know that as soon as the war is over, as soon as the first party comes, I'll be wearing my best outfit. And I know that I'll be dancing until the fall of the dance floor. And I'll just keep dancing while lying on the floor. Because we're free to be ourselves again. And we're free to live and it's a very important aspect of life. The genocide, this violence, this war, it can also give and it will give some new impulses. We'll probably have this all ahead and it's very interesting. But we need to win. It gives us weapons, long story short. Who's watching me? Give us weapons. <laughs> Since the time of the filming, the curfew has changed. It now begins at midnight. Daytime parties and festivals happen regularly, fundraising for the army, community, civilians, population, and other war efforts. Russia's invasion of Ukraine continues. But yeah, um, so let's go again. The curfew will remain in place until the war is over. But yeah, I really enjoyed it, man. Really, really good documentary. Like I said, um, really kind of um, sobering to see people, you know, within the same sort of age group that I'm in, in general, just kind of stepping up to the cause. Um, stepping up where the country needs them the most, not running away and kind of essentially being part of the resistance and helping to basically piece together their communities that have been absolutely torn apart because of the war. Regardless of what your position of the war is, whether you think the invasion is just or not, whether you believe the propaganda, whether you think it's propaganda, regardless, just as people, I think it's really kind of encouraging to see people, you know, especially young people, deciding to kind of bear arms, people with absolutely no experience whatsoever, deciding to kind of go on the front line and fight for their country, fight for their quote-unquote freedom, um, stand up for their people. It's absolutely amazing that like, that kind of patriotism, I don't think you could get in the UK. Like I think to myself, if anybody <laughs> invaded the UK and that shit happened, the amount of division that already exists, the amount of um, separate communities that aren't really in place and whatnot, um, I don't think you'd get any kind of unity on the front lines. The same way you didn't get any unity when it came to COVID, I don't think you're going to get anyone really deciding to kind of bear arms and kind of, you know, step up on, to the plate on the front line and defend their position, defend their country, defend their loved ones. It wouldn't happen. People just be adopting that, you know what, <laughs> I'm black, I'm not British, or I'm British, I'm not English type of, you know, rhetoric, which I'm sure would happen. But big up everybody there in Ukraine. Um, not life and resistance curse your ra check out it it's a really good documentary i recommend it only like 40 minutes long but it is a really good job um ra of kind of you know depicting that whole thing and giving it a really good ideal next on the list to talk about here next on the list actually you know what because for some reason my flipping camera is going a bit weird let me just quickly unplug this and see if it works because for some reason it's going crazy let's do it again one more time because it's going pausing again but anyway let's continue yep there we go okay so next one let's talk about is this this really documentary i feel like it was kind of sad 
um kind of depressing i'm not gonna lie more depressing than i thought it would be and i think it's because of my general shift in my kind of attitude to kind of clubbing and going out and stuff and partying and drinking and doing drugs and stuff has kind of changed over the years and i'm obviously a little bit more um chilled than i was maybe a few years ago so the kind of um excitement or the kind of hype or the sort of like you know enthusiasm i'd have for watching this sort of stuff is sort of gone and I kind of watch it with like a little bit of a concerned eye. And I also kind of picture myself in that position and think to myself, rah, man, I'd be super depressed if I ended up being this kind of person. What am I talking about? I'm talking about this documentary courtesy of Vice, um, which is called A Non-Stop Party, The Dark Side of Ibiza. Um, the full ep- episode is here. It's like 20 minutes long, but they've also got a clip that's like four minutes that we're going to play. But essentially the journalist from Vice heads out to Ibiza and speaks to people who basically work there, seasonal workers, drug dealers, um, people that just live there and party folk in general about, you know, the nonstop party side of Ibiza and how dark it can get. And my whole knowledge on Ibiza in general has mostly been through documentaries, especially within like the kind of Balearic scene. That's sort of kind of my vision, my idealistic kind of picture of Ibiza. You know, this kind of like hippie commune, this kind of like, um, you know, adventure playground for like adults who'd never want to grow up. And it kind of, again, it kind of had like a, an island burning man sort of vibe to it. That's kind of how I saw it. And it kind of felt like an alternative to going from like, you know, this typical city, like, um, clubbing culture and scene that I'm probably used to in places like London, Berlin and all other places and whatnot. Um, you kind of get like this vibe of like being somewhere hot and the beach and the sun and stuff. So it kind of feels vibey. But I've also never had the impulse to go, um, mostly because of the music. I'm not really, you know, into raving to flipping tech house and deep house and, you know, business techno and stuff. It's not really the kind of stuff that I'm really into. And that's usually what they kind of play out there. I do know there are some people doing interesting, cool, kind of, you know, progressive, avant-garde, um, you know, alternative kind of parties from the typical mainstream stuff. But really and truly, you don't go to Ibiza to kind of hear underground stuff. You go there to hear like the big commercial people play back to back to back to back, especially at places like Pasha and DC 10 and what right circle loco so cool makes sense but i've also heard on the flip side that it is a place similar to berlin similar to london probably where you can get lost in the source you can easily easily get lost in the source to the point where your life completely just revolves around getting fucked up um and it can be hard to kind of get out from that hole and this documentary does a really good job of detailing how quickly you can get lost in the source especially when they talk to the seasonal workers who obviously go there during the festival season um and which i think extends from like spring all the way until like late 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 in the year maybe october this time right they kind of stretch it as far as possible then they have like you know end of season parties here in london when you're finishing shit in other major cities so you know the the need to kind of continue partying is really strong so that happens and um this documentary again like i said does a really good job in terms of depicting it. So I'm going to play the clip here. This is the clip is called Drug Dealing to Survive. I believe this eternal sesh is a clip taken from um, Vice High Society. And it does a really good job of kind of showing you the dark, bleak side of this. But like I said before, there was a time in my life where these type of sessions were, these type of sessions were something that you would kind of long for. You'd be like, oh my God, I wish that was me. And then now the older you get and the more experience you have with stuff and the more you kind of, you know, change your priorities in terms of what you go out for. It's more about the music and seeing DJs and stuff and maybe connecting with people. The less stuff like this kind of fills you with any kind of FOMO. If anything, you kind of feel bad for the people like, fuck man, imagine what that life is like on a daily basis. So let me play this clip for you so you can see what I mean. 
loading up now bear with me a sec here we go come on vice don't kill me there we go here we go for those seasoned workers who have pivoted to the drug trade and kept it professional there is serious organized crime level money to be made Aiden has gone quickly from bartending to making an absolute fortune dealing. So where are we going now? We're going to go drop off some money for a bit load. It's not really a rush on it, but I just want to get it gone because I don't really want it in the house anymore. Are they part of a gang, the person that you owe this money to? No, they're probably one of the few people that are similar to me that just prefer to work alone. And did he originally come here as a season worker? Pretty sure he did, yeah. Is that how you came here? Yeah, I used to work behind the bar for probably the first two years I was here until I seen the light a little bit. And then I started selling from behind the bar and it got to a stage where I was missing sales and the sales were worth a lot more than what I was earning behind the bar. So after like a week or two of realising the potential, I just kind of quit. Jesus. That story isn't unique. Most metropolitan cities, you know, if you want to get some coke and stuff or you want to get some pills, you want to get some MDMA, you want to get some weed, usually cool little, you know, cocktail bars or just regular pubs and stuff. You're going to be able to score some stuff from bartenders because usually those guys take the stuff themselves or they're in contact with people that maybe deal in the place. So it's not that far-fetched to see the scenario play out, play out in other places. What is a bit far-fetched is something that you definitely don't see all the time. Our bartenders quitting their bartending job to be full-time dealers because they're making too much money, you know, dealing the odd gram and whatnot for people throughout the night. So that kind of led, you know, leads you to kind of understand, imagine the amount of people who are going out there. Imagine the amount of people who are going out there on a daily, if not weekly basis, monthly basis you know flipping buying drugs and whatnot trying to score it imagine how many people are doing it imagine how often that must be happening it must be flipping insane to the point where this guy can flip in you know it kind of even enters his mind to quit his job and decide to start dealing drugs full time the amount of people out there scoring must be on another level yes that is a wad of cash how much is that 18,660, I think. And that's money that you've made for someone? Yeah, that's that's his portion of the money that I owe. And what's the portion that you got? I probably made just over double that. So he's going to give some cash to another dealer, who I'm assuming he got his supply off. It's 18,000 euros, and he's saying that he made double that. I can see why he stopped working as a bartender. I got another order there. What's it for? So it's only a small one, one coke, one MD, one pills. But I'm desperate at the minute because it's so quiet. Because it's the end of season? Yeah, and there's so much stock left to get rid of. So would you consider yourself low-level scale? Yeah, the lowest of the low, really. Even though you're making yeah. times two, 18,000? I think even the worst dealer would struggle to make less than 30 grand in a season. If they're making less than... That, that says a lot about the people that are going out there, to be fair. No, I think they shouldn't even be bothering risking it. Like. Aidan has his first deal of the day, so the crew has to sit creepily in the back. How are you? Yeah, I'm you. All good. If, if anyone's asking for a number in a hotel, will you pass on my number? Yeah, we'll go. Cheers. See you later. She was not friendly last time. Last time she was dying to shag me, so she... Oh, God. She's seen her in the front now, thought she's my girlfriend. <laughs> she's raging. So the way that I understand it is there's a lot of different gangs that operate on the island. Do the seasoned workers never piss these people off? 
like season workers are so minuscule on that scale that I don't think it really matters. Like I think these them three groups are more to do with the importation. It's none of their business really. Do workers ever get themselves into sticky situations? It's a hard island to actually keep your head and stay focused on, so I think it probably does happen a lot. I think it's fairly common that they go to your own supply. Like, and you? I don't touch any drugs, so it's purely money for me. And that's probably the only way to do it. That's probably the only way to survive out there, I'd imagine. It's a full-time, you know, spring, summer, and maybe autumn sesh. So the only way to actually survive if you are going to be out there dealing drugs is to be somebody that's kind of, you know, that kind of treats it like a business. You don't partake in your gear whatsoever. You just sell it and you just keep it moving. That's probably the only way to do it. But can you imagine how difficult it must be to kind of maintain that level of self-discipline? Unless you're obviously sober, you made a decision to do so. But if you're not, and you're just doing it by choice, just to kind of be there bored throughout the day sometimes, so you don't get, you know, when your phone line isn't ringing as often in your home to just not touch that fucking brick or those couple of the baggies that are kind of zipped up underneath your fucking bed. That must be difficult. But of course, that is the only way to survive in these kind of places and make some actual, um, you know, sustained, substantial money that can maybe get you off the island and get you back to some level of normality. Probably wise, to be fair. So what's this guy getting? This guy's getting a quarter of coke, which I'm doing very cheap because I'm trying to get rid of stock. Yeah, that's it, doing. That's a lot of cocaine. Yeah, it's for him and his uh, wife for the week. Wow. Aidan's phone won't stop buzzing, and it's time for his next loyal customer. Yeah, just jump in there, say. What are you doing for me? Yeah, no, I've got quite one of it. No, you're not having a quite one. Anyway, enjoy that. Let me know what you think, anyway, if you can stick it with you. Sam, boys, enjoy that. So do you feel like beneath all of this fun, there's a dark side of Ibiza? A hundred percent. I feel like when you come here on a holiday, this is the best place ever. But if you stay here for longer than a month, you'll see what it's actually like. And people acting like they're living in paradise, living a dream, but they're not really. Like they're, they're telling themselves that so they can stay a bit longer. They like the sun and they like the free drink. But I don't think a lot of the people that are actually here working are happy realistically feels like just the eternal sesh. It's kind of petrifying. Yeah, but it goes from the eternal sesh that's fun to the eternal sesh because I have no other choice and I can't afford food. Wow. That's bleak. Yeah. And that's the troubling side of it. I think that's what happens, I think, with age or with kind of experience. There is a period in your life where the eternal sesh sounds like a fucking dream. It's similar to like when you're younger and you have maybe, this is a weird example, but you have like, you know, maybe Nutella in your house as a treat. It was in my house. And then you finally become old and, you know, it's a treat to the point where your mom might flip and hide the jar or it's in like a really high cabinet that you can't reach. And then you get to a point where you're able to kind of make your own money. And sometimes the first thing that you end up doing is kind of fulfilling those kind of things that you were not able to kind of do to your heart's content, to your heart's desire. So you go out and you buy as many fucking Nutella jars as possible and you have it every single day, any time of the day, because you can now, because you're an adult, you can do your own thing. So that's the kind of same thing with a sesh you start doing sesh especially when you've got no money those type of things are incredible you hang out with people you're up for loads of days you're meeting loads of people you're going to after party after after party after after party you're turning up to work on monday completely yacked out of your brain and it's a fun story to tell your friends over the fucking coffee machine but then the older you get the more responsibilities you have the more life experience that you have in general suddenly that kind of all weekend shift or sesh stuff 
becomes something a bit of a kind of living nightmare so if you don't want to live for again because the hangovers are brutal and because usually if you're kind of indulging in those things on a kind of weekly basis it kind of you know it's kind of safe to assume other parts of your life are probably not all gucci there are some people that i do know who are able to sesh incredibly hard and also be able to kind of hold down pretty good jobs and do well for themselves. But for the most part, most of us don't have that luxury. So you have to choose one or the other. But I can't, again, I can't imagine how difficult it must be to live that life out there in a place like Ibiza, which is essentially is paradise. It's essentially um, like someone else described to me the other day. It's basically like Miami for flipping Europeans. And you basically go out there to basically indulge in your, indulge yourself. It's basically designed in a way to allow adults to kind of, you know, do whatever the fuck they want. You have access to literally everything. And essentially um, all of your vices are at arms, you know, are only kind of a couple digits on a fucking phone away, which obviously allows you to kind of do some scary stuff. So this documentary definitely was an eye opener in that regard. And definitely on one part, it got me kind of intrigued to go to Ibiza and check it out as a party island and a scene. But it also made me understand and respect people who are able to kind of live out there and you know do the do do what there needs to be done without maybe getting lost in the source because the temptation from you know all around you must be insane because you know the documentary even says there are dealers in terms of on the beach i think the senegalese crew are people that deal the the taxi drivers or cab drivers that pick you up from the airport who are scouting people to kind of pick up on the streets they're dealing um the people in the club are dealing. Uh, you've got fucking bartenders dealing. Like everybody has got drugs in some respect. The seasonal workers are doing kind of tours. They're dealing. It's absolutely crazy. It's a temptation that lies in every single corner. So for those people that are out there and are doing the good thing and not kind of, you know, getting into that temptation, then I really do respect you, uh, you know, on another, another level, because I don't know if I could handle that kind of level of fucking temptation. I'm not going to lie as destructive as it may be. So big up those people who are able to do that. What are you guys saying in the chat? I can't believe you haven't been to Abifa yet. Says Koyla. Yeah. And um, to be fair, like I'm, I guess my temperament is like, I'm a bit of a weird one. I don't really like weird to say, but like, sunny hot climates aren't usually for me i think because i sweat so much and i get self-conscious about it i don't like to be places where i feel like i'm fucking melting and i feel uncomfortable and i'm always twitching and fidgeting because i feel like my clothes are stuck all over me and i've got sweat patches everywhere so i tend to kind of prefer to go to places that are a little colder for some reason i think that's why i haven't really been to um a place like abifa even though i went to nicaragua a few years ago to travel and stuff i haven't really been anywhere else like that super hot i tend to kind of prefer places that are a little bit more rough around the edges i think abifa is a bit too shiny for me um in that respect probably um what people are saying here da, da, da. I was told it was a dump, blah, 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 everything. So it was a nice vacation. But yeah, um, let's continue from here. Um, also, I want to talk and mention quickly. I have watched the first two episodes of The Idol, the TV series that's starring Lily Rose Depp and The Weeknd. And um, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good at all. I think all the fucking trepidation and worry people had about the show and about the message it was sending and blah 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 the concern is definitely overblown if you feel like this is going to corrupt your kids and i feel like you have bigger problems to worry about there's fucking porn on twitter that's far worse than anything you're ever going to see on the fucking idol it's tame as fuck it's not believable in the slightest the performances from the two lead roles 
are quite substandard the story makes no real sense um the only good thing about the show is probably jenny from blackpink she's a fucking standout um she probably should be um the lead character instead of lily rose depp i feel like having two people who don't you know two novice actors being the leads of a show like this was a really bad move i say personally um so maybe they could have got one person to be a legit actor to kind of play either role of the weekend or lily rose depp but overall the show is you know it's it's shit it's not that great but if you want to hear my um in-depth analysis of the whole show i did put up my um brand new patreon episodes available now my, on my patreon site which is patreon.com for just agostino you can scroll down and you'll see that i have an update here about the two, the recent two episodes of the idol and i'm going to keep reviewing it as more episodes come out in the next one episode three is, ep- is the 18th so check out my patreon if you haven't already it's available now at patreon.com for just agostino that's patreon.com for slash a-g-o-s-t-i-n-h-o you can join the patreon for as little as one dollar per month or one pound per month um and you can get access to all my flipping patreon episodes and i do a review there of the idol so if you want to check out my review of the idol go there and check that out but spoiler alert the fucking series is absolutely garbage not great in the slightest and like i said if you've got kids and you're worried about it corrupting your children i honestly think they're going to see far worse stuff in the playground with friends on their phone stuff on twitter and instagram snapchat they'll find way more racier stuff on fucking reddit than they would do on fucking the idol um nothing about it is believable it's absolutely bland to say the least and if anything as a big weekend fan it's really disappointing because he is awful in it awful 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 but again for my full review check out my patreon patreon.com for just agostino to find the latest episode episode 30 of the bonus show and you will to see my review of that if you need be you will see my review of that if you need be um continuing on from that i've got this news this is fucking hilarious off the back of the ibifa stuff look at how crazy us british people are look at how crazy we are courtesy of mix mag ryanair announces a ban on duty-free alcohol on flights from uk to ibifa did you hear that? Ryanair announces a ban on duty-free alcohol on flights from UK to Ibiza. We are too much of a liability to be trusted to drink um, our fucking duty-free alcohol on the plane on the way to Ibiza, which is already a party fucking island without getting messed up and you know making an absolute fool of ourselves and getting on the nerves of our fellow passengers. Because if there's one place that I refuse to be annoyed by with other people is on the plane because there's nowhere you can go when somebody's just being overly argumentative or loud and shit it's really weird but i'm also kind of fortunate because most of the flights i take are kind of boring so i don't usually i don't know about you guys but whenever i'm on a flight very rarely you do, do i see people like buying shit whether it's a drink or some sandwiches or something to eat everyone's just kind of just you know basically on the flight waiting to go to a destination no one's really caring about eating anything too tough on the plane so I can only imagine what it must be like to be on a plane with somebody, with a group of people on a destination somewhere where everyone's getting fucked. I can only imagine what that must be like, the, the vibe. People playing music on their phone, jumping up and dancing. There's a viral clip of some lads on the way to Ibiza or Amsterdam cutting up lines on the fucking table, on their chair and shit. I can only imagine how fucking crazy that must be to deal with on a day-to-day basis. But I've been lucky where I don't have that, you know, I've never had that kind of happen to me because most places I go to are boring and I'm usually not going within the kind of peak festival time and shit. But Ryanair obviously had enough. So let's read the article. 
It says, Ryanair has announced that passengers travelling from the UK to Ibiza will not be allowed to consume alcohol bought in duty-free following a string of antisocial incidents on the flights. Customers were informed via email from the airline that duty-free alcohol taken on board their flights from the UK to the Balearic Islands will now have to be tagged and stored under the aircraft. So they're treating us like absolute babies. They're going to take our duty-free alcohol away from us. They're going to bag it and tag it so you can't get access to it and you're going to get it when you you know land at the place you're in. So all you can have basically are the drinks that they're going to serve you, you know, during your flight. Um, with those attempting to consume alcohol, risking removal from the flight. The decision comes after 15 people, 15 people were removed from a flight from Manchester to Ibiza in April due to drunken behavior, causing a delay for five hours. The airline expanded the, anyone's displaying signs of antisocial behavior or be removed from their routes to the White Isles. Now, I'm wondering, right, stuff like this. I wonder if the reason why this happens is because in the UK, which I don't know, this is strange to say this, but I feel like in America, you guys have way more consequences for like unruly behavior in airports. People get lifetime bans, which is dumb. No, this is not dumb, which is weird because people still make, you know, fool themselves in airports. You see countless videos of people fighting in airports, arguing with fucking, you know, um, airport staff and stuff and basically risking their ability to fly because they're of a slight inconvenience all the time. So I guess the deterrent isn't that much really. But in the UK, for some reason, I have a feeling that airlines don't really, you know, ban people that willy-nilly. So probably that's why people take the piss when they go to fucking airports and they get fucking pissed up. Um, so you feel like you can kind of get rid of anything because there are no consequences. So maybe that kind of happens. But can you imagine how unruly you have to be for 15 people to get pulled off a plane? 15. That's insane. And luckily, you know, as annoying as it is to wait for five hours, luckily this didn't happen in the air. Because if it's happening in the air and you've got no option but to fucking, you know, put up with these people until you land, that is awful. At least they kind of caught it before the plane, you know, lifted off. It continues, it says, the email explains that the new rules have been put in place in order to prioritise the comfort and safety of all passengers and by extension, the employees who must now thoroughly search all cabin bags <laughs> before boarding and can have access to the customers deemed unfit to travel. So already when you're going to the fucking airport, the searches are way too intrusive, especially post 9-11, all airport security got fucking, you know, turned up to the fucking max. You have to go through the gates, go through the fucking, the get, you know, whatever, the inspection, which I always have to fucking go through because, you know, what I look like. It's always a random search with me every single time. You go through the fucking gates, you have no metal, no nothing on you. And for some reason, the alarm always goes off whenever I walk through it. So you have to get patted down. Then my luggage gets searched. Then you finally get, you know, finished. You get all your stuff together. You put your belt back on or you put back all your shoes. You do all your shit. You pack your bag up again. You zip it up and you go to the fucking gate. And now when you go into the gate, you can have somebody check your luggage again for any fucking bottles of like absolute vodka or some shit. That's fucking awful, man. But again, the errors of a small minority always end up affecting the majority of people. It says the changes are sure to be met with approval from Balearic authorities who last year began a campaign to curb excessive binge drinking on the island, banning drink deals, pub crawls, party boats and restricting the sale of alcohol in shops and off licenses so all the things that would make it fucking fun to go there they kind of banned 
no drink deals, no pub crawls, no party boats, and no alcohol in shops and off licenses. Fucking hell, man. This sounds like the worst time ever to go out beef for now. Money-saving measures, which encourage stories to consume more alcohol, such as happy hours and two-for-one drinks, um, have also been banned by these governments, establishments who continue to violate these rules, risk fines of between 60,000 euros to 600,000 euros, with the closure of their businesses up for three years. Those on an all-inclusive holidays face similar restrictions as a six as a six drink a day cap. <laughs> Honestly, you can't do that to British people. We drink six drinks in the fucking morning. Sometimes with our lunch, six drinks a day. Individuals found breaking these restrictions could be subject to hefty fines of between one thousand to six thousand euros. So, again, another win for us British folk. Another win for us being some of the worst traveling tourists ever. I think. People don't know this, but I think UK tourists are up there with like Americans in terms of their level of annoyance and their levels of antisocial behavior when they go to abroad. Um, maybe again, because we're small and people don't really pay attention to it, but we're just as bad as Americans. You know, usually American tourists have bad reputations around the world. UK people are the same. Same goes for Australian. Um, I can't think of the other one and obviously maybe Chinese. Um, but honestly, we have a really, really bad reputation. I swear to God, because They've had laws, drinking laws change in like Ibiza, Amsterdam, other like places like even in Eastern Europe, I'm thinking, I forgot where it is, maybe it's Poland or Hungary, some, all these places that usually a lot of English people go to for like stag do's or like cheap holidays. They've had to change some of their rules, some of their legislation, some of their drinking laws, whatever it may be, to kind of curb some of the crazy behavior that goes on with us brits when we get out there from the excessive drinking to the drug taking to just fighting and shit it's really really crazy we are really bad but again big up everybody that's going to be for trying to sneak duty-free vodkas onto the plane it's simply not worth it because you may get a fine that's absolutely crazy so big up you if you try big up you if you end up trying Moving on from that, we've got some news, good news courtesy of Mixed Mag regarding one of my favourite um, duos, bands, groups of justice are going to make a comeback with their first album in seven years, Ed Banger confirms. Um, this is bringing back a lot of good memories of me seeing Justice perform many, many years ago in the Notting Hill Arts Club, which is a venue that um, MIA used to play at a lot. Um, Lily Allen sometimes used to pop by here and there. Back in the day when Mark the Cobra Snake was around and shit, that was a really cool, like, indie sleaze, early 2000s type of vibe. And Justice were a big part of my kind of soundtrack around that time. Um, and, you know, Ed Banger Records, Busy P, all those guys were fucking amazing. Uh, so it's really cool to see that sound coming back again that kind of indie dance uh whatever vibe that is um you know they were doing back then it's, it's kind of coming back to the forefront which is kind of nice to see i'm not gonna lie um and also like kind of electro type of vibe or stuff that they were kind of going for so Yoko says as follows justice is coming back with a new album and a tour um the french duo consisting of gaspard org and xavier de ronzi um ronze sorry rosne Xavier de Ronsne are confirmed to release new music via Ed Banger Records in 2024. The news is confirmed by Ed Banger founder Pedro Winter, also known as Busy P. During a video interview with Registration France Inter, he says, Is this a scoop? I can tell you now that there'll be a new album and a new tour in 2024. This is set to be the fourth studio album for the duo and the first release since 2016's Woman. Last year, Justice shared a previous original demo, 2007 dance record classic dance every 15 years composed by an opera blah 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 originally released by a banger i said 
uh watch Pedro Winter confess. Yeah, cool. There's Pedro Winter confessing here there, but yeah. Um Justice are coming back next year, new album, new tour, cannot wait. And again, this is a kind of you know confirmation if ever you needed it that Indie Sleaze is back. Indie Sleaze is back. Moving on from that, we've got this courtesy of Glastonbury. I'm not really too familiar with this because I don't smoke and stuff, so I don't know what the deal is. But Glastonbury are urging um, attendees not to bring disposable vapes into the festival. And I don't know, maybe maybe I'm dumb, but I would imagine the best place to fucking smoke a vape would be a festival. Out in the sun, out in the fucking, you know, in the park, whatever, maybe out in the field, um, air and whatnot, chilling under the sun with some friends. A vape would be the best place to have it is a place like a festival. So them banning it, is really an indictment or an example of like how bad these vapes are for people and the environment, probably if they're going this far as to ban it. Um, Cash and Bree Festival, says your coach and Mix Mag are being urged not to bring, Cash and Bree Festival, sorry, are being urged not to bring single use vapes to the Worthy Farm this year in compliance with event environmental policies. Disposable vapes were added to Gastonbury's What Not to Bring list, which also includes non-biogradable body glitter, wipes, um, excessive packaging in effort to reduce environmental farm harm to the site. So imagine all these things that you should be using to kind of clean yourself, like wipes and excessive packaging, are gone for some reason. Weird. <laughs> do not bring disposable vapes they told attendees following Gastonbury's reduce reuse recycle policy they they pollute the environment and can be hazardous at waste centers every week 1.3 million disposable vapes are thrown away in the uk jesus christ 1.3 million um or two sec or every, two every second last month industry experts warned of a dramatic rise in fires at recycling plants over the past year because of people chucking away these vapes there are honestly tiktok videos out that i've seen of like young girls showing off how many vapes they have collection wise and substance they smoked and it's wild you see them opening drawers and loads of fucking you know vapes that run out there on the ceilings bookshelves you're like fucking hell the vape thing is like grip people in ways that I never saw even grip people that you smoke cigarettes. It's crazy. So Gassim is also asked to tell you not to bring more than accessories, more than necessary to this event and to take home anything brought to the festival site, including tents and gazebos. I do know there's, um, I've got a festival. It's actually, it might be that one I'm going to in flipping September in Amsterdam, Dre Molen. I think Dre Molen or maybe another one, maybe it was How to, I don't know which one it was, but one of those festivals had a policy where you could essentially um, get, yeah, you could essentially hire a bag for like a tenner, but then get more money back if you brought the bag back with some rubbish and stuff. Like if you actually picked up after yourself, um, you can actually get a bit more money back. I've got how much it was, but that was a pretty interesting incentive to get people to, you know, pick up their rubbish. Because in one way, it's cool because you get some money. In another way, it's kind of depressing because it means that regularly people just decide to go to festival and just leave all their shit on the ground. That's pretty crazy. Um, it says, yeah, biodegradable wipes are also banned this year. Biodegradable wipes are banned. So you can't use any wet wipes when you're at the festival. So what are you meant to do if you want to fucking clean your asshole? Please avoid the use of disposable wipes, they said. Wipes, even biodegradable ones, which quickly break down into microplastics are problematic for the environmental pollutions. <laughs> the plant full of fiber-based biodegradable wipes release greenhouse gases when they when they decompose. So we would like people to rely to really try to use alternatives. A washcloth and a bar of soap works wonders. 
Imagine being in a washcloth and a bar of soap to a fucking festival. Like, yes, you can bring that, but also some work apps will also help in addition to that. Same with buying, you know, bringing some shower gel or whatnot. You could also bring that, but also some work apps will actually help, especially if, I don't know, I can't imagine if you're a girl what you're going to do. Maybe you've got some makeup removal liquid you're going to use instead, but I'm not too sure if they even leave you, let you bring, you know, liquids in a bag. But yeah, regardless, no vapes allowed at Glastonbury. Clearly a bit of an issue for people out there. So hold your head up if you are a vape addict because it's going to be a long old summer for you next we have to talk about this of course courtesy of my favorite club in the world Berghain. they're finally released finally 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 and i'm over the moon about it released the flipping um lineup for july and the program and who's gonna play and the lineup for july is pretty banging i'm actually happy i didn't go on the june date i was meant to go um i've got a date again i'm meant to go to in the middle of july but i'm actually going to push it back to the end because the first thing that i saw that i actually want to attend is csd towards the end of the month i think it's on the 22nd if i'm not mistaken if i scroll there we go csd on the 22nd now i'm a bit conflicted because i mentioned before previously on the pod that I'm not a fan of going to Berghain during the special events. I feel like the special events, although they can be great in terms of value for money, you get to see all these amazing people all in one day, spread across four different rooms in that massive flipping building, Berghain, Paramabar, the garden and cell. Great. But the other thing that's the you know reason why it's concerning sometimes is that usually the big events are on public holidays um, or big celebrations and usually a lot of tourists and you know, random folks usually go and attend and it usually leads to it being an absolute crazy roadblock. Plus the regulars are already going there week in, week out. Um, plus all the tourists and whatever it may be and the hype kids. It just makes it sometimes unbearable when it comes to wake times in the queue. Because, you know, the last time I waited there that long was at a really popular kind of, you know, special event, which is the Sylvester. I think I was in sometime June of last year and I waited legitimately in the queue for fucking four hours to get inside, which I'd never do again. I only did it because I didn't realize the time. I was chatting to randoms in the queue. I was listening to music and shit. I really wasn't paying attention to how the long it was in the queue. I just assumed we were going to get in the next 10 minutes, next 10 minutes, next 10 minutes. And by the time I checked my watch, I was like, shit, I've been here for four hours. But by then I was already next to the fucking barriers. So I didn't want to leave the queue because, you know, my turn was coming. And luckily I was able to get in. But the wait times are awful. And sometimes inside despite Bergheim being fucking massive and it being spread across numerous floors, different little rooms and stuff, you definitely feel when it's a popular holiday kind of event, you definitely feel like the dance floors are way more packed and heaving than it would have been any other time. And it's hard to navigate. It's hard to find pockets to dance because that's the reason why I like going to those places because they're great places to just lose yourself and dance and get freaky and whatnot. And you can't even do that sometimes because there's just so many people that you get feel self-conscious i know i do about my space about what i look like and stuff about the sweating i just don't want to do it but i'm gonna have to give it a go this time around because this csd lineup is just so bloody bloody good i can't bloody turn it down and if you're wondering i guess you know what's csd I'll tell you what CSD is. Courtesy of flipping Wikipedia. It's Berlin Pride, basically. It says here, courtesy of Wikipedia, the Berlin Pride celebration, also known as Christopher Street Day, aka CSD, um, is a pride parade and festival, um, held in the second half of July in Berlin. 
Germany to celebrate the lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender LGBTQ uh, people and their allies. Since 1979, the event has been held each year. Berlin Pride is one of the biggest, um, largest, sorry, gay and lesbian organized events in Germany and one of the biggest in Europe. Its aim is to demonstrate for equal rights um, and equal treatment of LGBT people as well as celebrate the pride in gay and lesbian culture. As you see here, loads of examples of it. Um, CSD held in memory of Stonewall riots, the first big uprising of LGBTQ plus people against the police in June 2nd, 27th, uh, June 27th, 969. These took place Christopher Street neighborhood in Greenwich Village, New York. The first CSD in Berlin took place in June 30th, 1979, 10 years after the incident, and since the second place every year. In 2012, around 700,000 people attended the CSD parade, and 500 people were present at the final parade location at the Bradenburg Gate. So I'm actually going to the parade as well, go by the floats and take some pictures and hang out, making it one of the largest events in Berlin, as well as the largest pride events in the world. So I'm really happy to go. I'm really excited to go because, um, you know, for me, I think it's a really good example of that you know most of the popular or the best club nights are you know centered around queer lgbtq gay folk in general so usually it's going to be an absolute blast and looking at the lineup it's too tough to turn down the lineup is too tough to turn down um i'm really looking forward to seeing boris in the main room honey dijon also i haven't seen play in a very very long time uh jennifer cardina i'm always a big fan of even though i think she's a little bit of a you know a little bit of a cat when it comes to gerd jansen um it's clear you can see that she's a big fan of the guy and they've obviously worked before hand and whatnot um but she's definitely one of my favorites too out there uh partook is great faith fatale of course steffi and virginia you know always amazing Paramount Bar, Avalon Emerson's commission to see what she plays like because, you know, the hype around her is pretty extensive, but I'm not really the biggest fan of her sets personally. Um, but I'm eager to see what she's going to be like, um, in person. Bashka, someone that I'm cool. I, I'm kind of interested to see also Chris Cruz, Kim Ann, um, and Bauchheimer is always a great, great addition to play there in Paramount Bar. Definitely an underrated, um, resident DJ over there in Bergheim. Mike Starr is another one who I discovered through Hall. I'm eager to see him. Roy Perez, of course, you know my views on him. I love the guy. Um, Cormac in the garden. I'm disappointed at because I would want to see him in the XXX room, but I think because of the summer, they usually close it down. I'm assuming because it's a laboratory room, I think. So him seeing him in the garden might be a vibe, disco vibes in the garden with Cormac and FKA M4A will be cool. And Lakuti and Tamasoma and then Saul, you've got Hard Tom playing there. So really stacked lineup, great people there. I can't wait to check it out. And then there's also other events happening in the city as well. Buttons is going on. Um, there's a Heron Suna happening also. So many, many events happening um, that I'm really going to be happy to kind of check out. So I cannot wait to go. So my July is kind of sorted out. Um, but the rest of the lineup is also flipping amazing to check out also. But this is definitely going to be my next sort of like big trip that I'm going to on the 22nd. But the rest of the lineup is absolutely stacked as well to kind of check out. Um, there's a really good um, addition here at the end. Um, Maron is finally playing at Berkline. I've read some places that it's his first time, maybe his second time, I'm not really too sure. But regardless, I feel like he's kind of deserved the ability, you know, the chance to play there a very long time. It's been a long time coming, basically. Um, you know, alongside Oscar Mulera, that's going to be great. Imagine if they program it together back to back. Seeing Oscar Mulera and Maron play back to back might be absolutely incredible. So, um, big up everybody that goes to see that if you are able that's going to be loads of fun that's going to be loads and loads and loads and loads of fun 
moving on, I want to quickly touch upon the news regarding Man United. Um, it's been pretty crazy development wise. I feel like a couple of days ago, the rumors were that the deal was over the line and myself and a few other people online were getting really giddy. I'm still in the giddy army now because this account or this user on Twitter called Zshan, who kind of does a lot of Twitch streams and seems to be in a no. He kind of called a lot of stuff very early on in terms of our transfers and stuff and kind of got them right. So, you know, I kind of keep an eye on what he says. Not all, not everything is always accurate, but he has sometimes got a really decent inside scoop on things. He was reporting essentially that, you know, we are Qatari, that the Glades had accepted the Qatari bid from Sheikh Jassim and, you know, they were going to go through with the full sale, which was what myself and other United fans want. We don't want the Glazers to only sell a, you know, partial a bit of the club to an investor. We want them to sell the club completely and completely, you know, get the fuck out of fucking Man United so that we can restart again because the Glazers in their close to two decades ownership of United have essentially bled the club bled the club dry um they don't really care about sporting success and you know considering the competition in the league the competition in europe we need an ownership that gets that the best course for success or the best course for money making is actually the ability to compete on a consistent basis in the league win trophies and whatnot and kind of push the team forward instead of just you know relying on finishing in the top four and getting that finishing money and then um when the next season starts off, not giving the coach the funds he needs to go and buy the players because you've already secured top four. So it's kind of a backwards mentality, but we seem to do it all the time, which is really, really annoying. So I think most fans, most fans would welcome the news that Sheikh Jassim's bid is successful and that we're not going to go with um, Jim Ratcliffe's Enios bid, which was only like for partial ownership and would mean the Gladys will still be at the club and stuff. So I think most fans are happy about that happening. But we have to put the brakes on everything now. We have to put the brakes, the brakes, the brakes, the brakes, because the news out there is very, very, very conflicting. So we've got this news courtesy of Dave Orstein. What says Sheikh Jassim is the preferred bidder and is set to be announced as a new Man United owner. Sources indicate that Sir Jim Ratcliffe will be awarded at least 15% of the total sale of the, for the important role that he has played, um, during the bidding process, which I feel like is incredibly corrupt. The fact that a person who bid for the club in with the, you know, with the intention of buying a portion of it is now being paid a fee for what just competing in the fucking bidding process that's weird so it feels like they kind of swindled the Qataris into offering more for the club by having Jim Ratcliffe act as opposition when he was never ever going to go through with the fucking sale of the of the purchase of the club because there was always going to be another bidder that wanted to purchase it outright so the players were kind of leaning on it. It feels a bit dodgy. So that was the first bit of news that kind of got everybody giddy. But then unfortunately, one of the Sky News reporters decided to kind of rain on our parade and essentially tell us, hey, guys, relax. It's not over the line just yet. We still need to have some details, courtesy of the Sky Sports reporters, um, Kava. And he kind of had this detail regarding the whole process. And this is coming directly, though, allegedly from Sheikh Jassim's camp. So let's see what he has to say about it. I mean, this is like a classic 2023 social media story because when you were in bed last night reading those reports, those reports were coming from a media company in Qatar called Al-Watan. And the reason everybody was getting excited is that supposedly Al-Watan, one of 
the owners of this media company, was Sheikh Jassim's father. Now, this morning, Al Watan have been on social media to say, whoa, 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 people are getting the wrong end of the stick. One, Sheikh Jassim's father is not connected with us in any way at all. He doesn't own shares in Al Watan. And secondly, what we reported yesterday was not an exclusive. We were just repackaging what had been reported uh, in the European media. So, complicated picture, but basically it's one of those social media stories that has gone round and around. There doesn't seem to be much substance behind it. What there is some substance behind, though, is the fact that Manchester United's share price uh, in the past five days has gone up something like 11%. It is now around $20 on the New York Stock Exchange. And the reason it's gone up is because people are anticipating that the Glazers are going to sell the club uh, to Sheikh Jassim. But the latest information we have is that nothing has changed. As far as the two uh, camps who are trying to sign United, uh, Jim Ratcliffe and Sheikh Jassim, no updates. They have not been told anything new uh, as of ten past two uh, on Tuesday. But bear in mind, though, I think New York is, what, five hours behind us? So there may be developments, if there are going to be developments today. So I am one of the people who, like I said before, I would much prefer to have a full sale. I don't want the Glazers to have any part, anything to do with United whatsoever um, going forward. I'd much rather have a clean break and have owners come in with a different perspective, different objectives in order to kind of take us, you know, to where we kind of need to go or just to get us to compete with the clubs in and around us, not even restore us a form of glory, just have us competing again because we are so far off the pace, it's absolutely frightening. So the only way I feel like that happens is if we get rid of the Glazers because the Glazers have showed, like I said before, in the past two decades that they've owned the club, that they don't really care about the things that the fans care about. Winning trophies, being successful on the pitch, you know, whatever it may be. They don't care about that. They'd rather just have us, you know, kind of competing, finishing in the top four, which, in, you know, ensures that we get a particular type of finishing bonus and whatever it may be, but not going any further than that, which obviously isn't what's needed if you're trying to compete in the league in Europe and whatnot in domestic trophies that's not what you want you need a bit more than that so I'm hoping I'm really really hoping that the Qatar bid goes through because if the Jim Ratcliffe bid goes through where he's basically offering money for like 69% of the fucking club that will mean the Glazers will still have a partial ownership of the club and knowing how the Glazers operate and their reluctance to kind of let go of the club and let go of that cash cow that they're kind of leeching that will inevitably turn into a, you know, another Glazer kind of tenure. It won't be any different to what we already had kind of suffered, especially when you kind of consider the fact that, you know, Jim Ratcliffe and a Glazer are allegedly kind of friendly also outside of this. So I really do hope the rumours are true. Um, the mark, the stock market kind of reacting the way it did, I feel like was mostly based on, you know, a lot of people in the know, in the business, kind of confirming the news that we've all heard that the Qatari bid was successful. So I feel like that, you know, spiking the activity in the stock market was actually legit and made a lot of sense. So I'm hoping going forward that means that we can kind of have a resolution where the club is intense, you know, is sold. Because so far we're like what seven to eight months in from the last time, you know, 
and now suddenly we the club still hasn't been sold nothing's gone through the transfer window's already opening um the manager needs his new players you know Eric Tanaga already see what happened against us at VC we saw the kind of lacking quality especially just off the bench squad depth we need at least at least five to six legit kind of players to come into our squad be able to play be able to sit on the bench and be absolute options that can change the game at the moment we don't have that so we need that to happen ASAP so I'm hoping I'm really really just hoping that Sheikh Jassim um, is a preferred bidder and that United kind of get out from under the thumb under the fucking sweaty you know rat rat looking leech fucking infested glazers that have been doing to us forever and ever and ever I really do hope so I really really do hope so Next on this year, we've got news courtesy of Hypebeast regarding Martin Rose has been named as Clark's first ever guest creative director, which is a pretty interesting article, um, interesting kind of title. Um, I remember Dr. Martin's doing the whole creative director thing a while back, like a, the celebrity kind of glitzy one. I think at the time when I kind of first got kind of familiar with it, they appointed um, this guy called Andrew Bunny, who I was very kind of familiar with beforehand, who's got his own brand called Bunny that has kind of jewelry and whatnot. And he's just a general, you know, a bit of a design kind of genius when it comes to London and contributing to certain brands and whatnot. And part of the whole Game of Five collective. And I remember he was one of the first people that kind of got hired to be a creative director at Dr. Martin's, but I didn't last too long. He got fired or he kind of walked away for whatever reason. I'm not really sure why. And I think ever since then, they've kind of just hired, I felt like, not wouldn't say glitzy not say undercover names or internally but it wasn't something that would be written about in wwd for instance so the fact that clarks are now deciding to do the same thing is really interesting especially when you consider the amount of collabs that they have already going on to have like a you know um a creative director come in to kind of spearhead the whole overall feel and look of the shoes that they have going forward considering the amount of collabs they have with other creative directors from other brands is interesting it also shows maybe a willingness for clerks to modernize and adapt and appeal to a whole new generation of people and kids coming up or a whole different segment of fans who maybe didn't see clerks as the de facto i don't know like desert boot company to come to on wallabies i don't know what it is maybe that's the answer because you know clerks shoes aren't really hipster friendly but regardless i thought it's a really cool title i can't wait to see what she does um i think martin rose is probably one of our best you know homegrown designers here in the uk um definitely somebody who has a very interesting and particular kind of aesthetic and opinion and voice when it comes to designing shoes so i can't wait to see what she actually does with the clark's gig and what she's going to do is she going to make stuff from scratch is she going to adapt the already existing models i want to see how far this goes because some of the more striking things from martin rose collections are always the shoes i feel like a lot of the shoes and the outerwear really go unnoticed in terms of the level of detail that she's able to kind of put in them and creativity and whatnot but anyway let's read the article it says here on tuesday british designer um british shoemaker sorry clark's name martin rose is first ever guest creative director according to wwd in a newly established role, the UK designer has designed three pairs of shoes, each of which will come to debut on a namesake runway show in London's Mesbury Fashion Week in June. So it's already been debuted. Okay, cool. I haven't seen them yet. Clarks is something that is so intrinsic to British culture and obviously Jamaican culture because it's huge in Jamaica because of the Commonwealth. There's a couple of British brands that are really big in Jamaica because of Britishness is a sign of quality and to take that and to take it out of context, it takes on a life of its own, like a myth. Rose said 
the footwear brand approached Rose last year and she substantially, uh, subsequently, sorry, visited Clark's headquarters in Somerset where she learned more about the label's 200 year long history, exploring imprint archives, Rose, um, revamped classic Clark silhouettes, including the loafer, the Oxford shoe and the sandal with her recognizable design codes and major focus on comfort. She designed the sandal. Okay, cool. Well, I'm happy to hear this because this probably confirms the suspicion of a lot of people, the rumors around town was that Martin Rose and a few other people like Grace Wells Bonner were offered the Louis Vuitton men's role after the unfortunate passing of Virgil Abloh. But it sounds like they all turned it down, which is why the role has been like a hot potato. And now finally they kind of landed on Pharrell. But this probably explains it. If, if Martin was already in conversations with Clarks last year, most likely she already knew that she already had said no to Louis and LVMH and whatnot and just went to kind of do her own thing, which is really admirable. I feel like, especially when it comes to, um, you know, the stuff that she's doing here. I really like that. Um, it continues here. It says, according to WWE's report, Rose has taken Clark's penchant for stylized comfort and one step further, pumping her collaborative designs with extra padded insole and feather downs in a pillow-like feel, a design process that Clark's has not explored prior. The color story, meanwhile, is in- unquestionably Rose with black Oxford and namesake options. There's something familiar about this so you can't get it off. We've actually tried to keep them more classic. Tara McRae, Clark's chief executive, chief marketing and digital officer, detailed the brand's excitement during surrounding Rhodes' appointment. Martin was a top of our list of guest creator directors to partner with due to our unconventional approach to design and development of a British Jamaican background, both of which are core to our brand. I'm interested to see, though, this title of guest creative director is very interesting because it feels like it's a way for the brands to kind of inoculate themselves. If you become a dud, if you are like a Justin O'Shea or like a Rugi Villasonora, like that's a way for them to protect themselves. So they don't have to, you know, be embarrassed or whatever it may be, if it doesn't kind of work out because it was always a guest role. It's a really interesting way to protect their backs. But yeah, I'm rooting for Martin Rose. I like what she does. Great designer. I'm eager to see what her perspective will be on Clark's and whether or not she get a chance to actually design her own shoe from the ground up. Let's see what happens. So let's switch this and let's continue on. Let me just pull this up again. Oh yeah, there we go. Let's talk about this. So in light of all of that talking, in light of all of that, we have to mention, we have to mention the Martin Rose uh, Spring 2024 Menswear Show. It might be one of my favorites for a very, very, very long time um, just because of the fucking mix, the, the sensuality in it, um, the masculine energy and the femininity involved, especially with these, some of these looks with the pearls and the blouses and the silks and stuff. It's absolutely incredible. One of my favorite looks actually has a good job of that kind of tension is this outfit here, which is look number 10, which features a guy wearing what looks to be a shiny green lime shirt. Uh, which looks to be underneath that he's basically got a dress corset on I think kind of thing that's basically a nightgown some jeans and some boots that essentially is the perfect encapsulation of the tension that exists nowadays especially when it comes to clothing when it comes to uh, you know how you express yourself and whatnot um you know that that kind of sense that clash is happening at both time with the jeans and the boots and all the silks and the lace on the top function i really really love the look of that um these jeans also will be very popular i feel like these um martin rose jeans with these sort of buckle harnesses on the side so i can't expect i can't wait to hear um people complain about this stuff in real life then we've got another look here look 12 which is really impressive i'm a big fan of that one 
blah, blah. Let's leave those people alone. You scroll down to some more looks. This look here with a big green coat is really good to be honest. Maybe I just captured him correctly, but the picture here is fucking great with the coat on. The guy looks absolutely amazing. And if you scroll down again, there's more great pictures also. Oh, this guy looking good. So it's that girl there in the middle. And then this is one of my favorite ones. This jacket here. It's absolutely covered. See, look at that. That's, I forgot that name, that kid, the artist kid, but he's even looking at it kind of oogling. This is basically a bomber jacket that's been covered in all sorts of stamps and stuff and labels and stuff. Every single place of the flipping jacket was just absolutely impressive. So I wonder if they're going to make more of these jackets individually and have someone pop the flipping tags on them or if it's going to be something that they can kind of make in house. I'm not really too sure. But either way, this jacket is so, so, so hard. Like, absolutely, everything about it, I absolutely love. So, yeah, again, big up fucking Martin Rose. Always doing amazing stuff. I really, 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 absolutely, absolutely love it. Everything about it is absolutely impressive. Let's scroll up a bit more. Actually, you see one more look, actually, I think I was going to mention. I mentioned them more. I think I might mention them more, haven't I? I mentioned them more? Yeah, I think I have. I think I mentioned them more. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that one. So, that's that one, Martin Rose. Let's move off from Martin and let's also say, actually, no, before we move off to Martin, I have to mention, I thought this look here, number, look number four of Martin Rose from the spring 2024 show. I thought, weirdly enough, this look reminded me a little bit of this iconic Vetement collection from fall 2017, where basically Denmark had kind of people walk down the runway who were kind of like stereotypical archetypes of themselves in the larger sense right so you have the you know the rich kind of you know russian lady you have the black security card guy and i felt like he did it really really well to be fair um but one of the looks i remember in that kind of show was a second look which is the guy that looks like a security guard wearing a jacket with his hands like that by his side which kind of remind me a little bit of this look here look number four for Martin Rose Spring 2024. I'm not too sure if there's any correlation between this or if I'm just kind of reaching for the stars, but it does seem kind of likable. But again, you know, the guy, this guy has no hair and this lady has all the hair. So big up them, big up absolutely them. What is going on? Um, we got this, we got that. Boom, boom, boom. What else we got here? Bear with me a second as I quickly load this up. And then we got, yeah, then the other thing regarding Martin Rose, we got some shoes also that have been debuted during that collection, which I'm still not convinced by, these Nike shocks. Again, I do like the fact that she's taken a classic, I feel like, UK London shoe in the Nike Air Shock and essentially made it her own. They're kind of like a mule, kind of, you know, long toe, long tip, whatever, wing tip type type of shoe, which is flipping crazy to think of it, that that's a shoe that, you know, she kind of went to put out in a collection that kind of makes more sense with the clothing it doesn't really in my opinion but still i appreciate the effort of trying to make something a little bit stand out ish that wasn't the same as everything else especially when you think about these two colorways here you can just got this really great orangey to yellow sunset type of color and this one that goes to the night that's absolutely beautiful so i definitely understand what he means regarding that but so far release date no way shape or form 2024 is probably the new one that we're going to probably get you have to wait until it's available wait until it's available that's all you can do that's all we can do actually i almost guarantee you that i almost almost guarantee you that 
So, what else we got to talk about this? Spoke about this, spoke about that. We spoke about this, we spoke about this. <clears throat> Actually, you know what? I think that might be it. I think that might be it for the next thing. So, yeah, I think that might be it. I feel I've spoken about my topic so far. Thanks again for tuning in to the Exxon's Show, episode number 682. Been a pleasure to have your company. If it's the first time tuning into the show, make sure you smash the like button down below for me. If you're watching the live stream now, please make sure that you smash the like for me and share the show. That'd be appreciated. Um, also remember that I have a Patreon available now. A new episode is out now called The Idol. Patreon episode number 30. You can find that at patreon.com for just Agostino. You'll be able to find all my Patreon episodes there. It's only $1 to flip and subscribe on there. It starts at $1. Get involved. Don't delay. Check out my thoughts and opinions about The Idol, the show starring Lily Rose Depp and the weekend um spoiler alert it's fucking terrible but just check out my video regardless and join my patreon and shit that's all i ask for but apart from that thank you again for tuning in if it's been a pleasure for you please make sure that you smash the like button for me if you listen to the audio podcast you hear my tune today if you're watching the, the youtube video you won't hear anything i'll just fade to black and i'll see you guys again very very soon take care be safe peace